You're listening to Björk Unraveled, a series that demystifies Björk's music one piece at a time. I'm your host, Savannah Wright. In a 2016 interview with another magazine, Björk said, quote, Some guy did an online survey of where my fans were, and apparently my typical fan is a 20-year-old Mexican gay guy. I was really proud. Close quote. Last season, I talked to a dozen or so fans about why Björk's music resonates with the LGBTQ community. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, definitely check it out. It's called LGBTQ plus Björk. But since researching that episode, I've been wondering about the other part of this quote. Why is Björk's typical fan a Mexican gay guy? Well, the charts give us mixed results on this. There's one recent data point that backs this up. When Björk released Atipos, the first single off Vasora, it entered Mexico's iTunes charts at number six. It was in the top 20 in Spain, Brazil, and Norway, but in the US, it didn't even crack the top 50. So clearly, that song got some love in Mexico. Granted, this is data about just one single, but still, I think that the survey Björk quoted holds some weight, if only because she talked about it. So in this episode, I'll talk to some Björk fans from Mexico about why her music resonates there, and together, we'll come up with three potential reasons. Reason number one. Björk's music shares structural qualities with traditional Mexican corridos. Corridos are stories told in song. The term comes from correr, the Spanish word for to run, which reflects the running narrative being sung. Common themes include war, man versus the establishment, the lives of folk heroes and villains, and the epic journey of life. I found this description on the National Park Service, because corridos also have a history in the southwestern United States, which previously was a part of Mexico. Quote, In Mexico and the United States, La Frontera, the borderlands, has long been associated with independence, mystery, discovery, conflict, and vast open spaces. If the stories of this region are crafted from these ingredients, the corrido is the plate on which they are served. First, the singer addresses the audience, then introduces the location, time, and name of the main character of the story. The importance of the character is sung, followed by the main piece of the song, devoted to the story. Finally, the main character's farewell is followed by the composer and or singer's farewell." Unquote. The corrido is an old song form, and the storytelling format has since evolved into other genres, including norteño, ranchera, and even hip-hop and trap music. But I hear that corrido sensibility in Björk's songs like Isabel. In the first verse, Björk introduces the setting of the story. Then, Björk introduces the main character. Isabel is a fiercely independent woman who's born in the forest and then moves to the city. she tries to remind the city folk of nature's influence. 
But instead of finishing the story in that song, Bjork continues it in Homogenic through Bachelorette. Here's what Bjork said about this song, quote, So on Bachelorette, Isabel decides to return to the city. It's like the sequel to her story. She goes back to the city by train, which is why the beats of the song are like a train, and she prepares to confront all the people that she loves with love. It's a disarming confrontation, close quote. This song is a little more abstract, not quite as overtly narrative as Isabel. But the corrido structure returns in the chorus when she bids her farewell, because that's typically how a corrido ends too. So that's one way her music overlaps with traditional Mexican music, but it's far from the only one. So I talked to a Bjork fan named Hisal about another reason Bjork's music resonates in Mexico. Another of my theories is that Mexicans can relate to her music since her album motivations are not too far off from many popular Mexican artists' ones. I will dare to compare a few of them. Café Tacuba's love for nature with biophilia or utopia. Natalia Lafourcade's cultural pride with medula. Chavela Vargas raw emotions in her music with homogenic or vulnicura, and Molotov's anti-system music with Volta. Okay, so Hisal gave a few examples, and I want to break those down for people who are unfamiliar. Obviously, there's so much I could talk about for each of these artists, but I'm going to keep it focused on the themes Hisal brought up. First, Café Tacuba. They're a band from Ciudad Satellite, Mexico, that became popular in the early 90s. Like Björk, they're genre benders. They've experimented with a bunch of different styles, like punk, ska, electronica, and hip-hop, as well as regional Mexican music like norteño, bolero, and ranchera. He saw said that Café Tacuba connects to Björk's music thematically because of their love of nature. We hear that in Bjork's music all over the place, but especially in Biophilia and Utopia. One example of this theme in Café Tacuba's music is their song Tropico de Cancer. It's about a deadly gas explosion that happened in San Juan Itzhuatapec in 1985. So in this song, Café Tacuba calls for us to abandon the industrial capitalism that led to that disaster and return to indigenous values of nature. Here's the chorus. It roughly translates to, that's why I'm leaving. I don't want to have anything to do with that ugly action ratio, construction, destruction. As we learned in a previous episode, Björk also protested climate destruction in her homeland, when a series of aluminum smelters were planned to be constructed in Iceland. To bring attention to her protest, she wrote the song Natura. Natura. 
The lyric in Iceland says is just worshipping nature and how magnificent it is and, and to be humble in front of it. It's a similar call to action as Tropico de Cancer, to renounce capitalist destruction and return to indigenous values that teach balance and humility. And by singing this song in her native tongue, Björk emphasizes her commitment to these indigenous values. The next artist he saw brought up was Natalia Laforcade. She's a Mexican pop rock and folk singer-songwriter who's been making music for a few decades now. And her 2015 album, Hasta la Raiz, shares some thematic overlap with Björk's album, Medulla, in that they're both examples of cultural pride. Here's what La Forcade said about her album, Hasta la Raiz, quote, One of the things I wanted to happen with this record was to find the connection with Mexico and its people again, close quote. That was the first song from the album, also called Hasta la Raiz. The phrase roughly means to the root in English. And as we learned in Björk's Sonic Symbolism podcast, Medulla was also about returning to and exploring your roots. But that's just one example of cultural pride in La Forcade's work. Her later album, Musas, pays homage to Mexican-American folklore writers that have inspired her. Like, here's her cover of the Mexican folk song La Llorona on that album. Que cuando las mueve el viento, llorona, parece que están llorando. In the same way, Björk does her own spin on traditional Icelandic music to show her cultural pride. Most recently in the song Fagurth Eri Fjordum on Fasora, which is an Icelandic folk song. So maybe Mexican listeners who follow Natalia Laforcade identify with the reverence Björk has for her cultural heritage. The next artist he saw talked about is Chavela Vargas. She's an iconic Mexican queer singer who, like Björk, brings intense emotion to her performance. To get a taste of Vargas's style, listen to her perform the same song we heard before, La Llorona, and the raw emotion she brings. In this song, Vargas doesn't just sing about grief, she embodies it. It reminds me of Björk's performance in Black Lake. Those big emotions are something another listener brought up too. Here's a Björk fan named Lucas. And all these strong emotions and the eccentricity is just very present there if you compare it to, I don't know, European countries where everything is more muted. The last artist he saw mentioned is Molotov. They're a rock band that formed in Mexico City in 1995. All members of the band rap and sing in both English and Spanish. 
and Hisal brought them up because they have an anti-system message that overlaps with the themes of Bjerk's album, Volta. For example, Molotov's song, Give Me the Power, has this line in the first verse. That literally translates to, we have to rip out the problem by the roots and change the government of our country. It's not too different from Bjork's cry for revolution in Declare Independence. Declare Independence. Don't let them do that to you. If we consider how popular these artists are in Mexico, it makes sense why Bjork's music, which has similar themes of nature, cultural pride, big emotions, and political protest, resonates with Mexican listeners. There's one final and most important reason that Bjork's music is beloved in Mexico. It's something that came up over and over with the Mexican listeners I talked to. It's Bjork's sense of magical realism. Here's Hisal. She's the Bjork fan we heard from earlier. I also think we're also used to seeing surreal events most days, good and bad. That might be unusual in other countries. Salvador Dalí said, De ninguna manera volveré a México. No soporto estar en un país más surrealista que mis pinturas. That translates to, I won't go back to Mexico. I can't stand being in a more surreal place than my paintings. Let's start by figuring out what exactly magical realism means, because magical realism means something different in Mexico than it does in the United States. In the U.S., it's like, oh, let's portray the world as magical because it's fun or artistic, but we all know magic isn't actually real. Whereas in Mexico, it's a belief and practice in actual magic. Magical realism is an artistic movement that started in the 1940s in Latin America and the Caribbean. Magical realist writers in these regions blurred realistic fiction with fantasy, and then mixed in French concepts of the surreal and their own indigenous mythologies. But the term magical realism might not even be the best way to put it. Xiomara Cervantes Gomez, a professor of Latin American literatures at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, argues that magical realism, quote, is something that white people invented to study our literature. The veil between the material and the celestial world, it doesn't exist in Mexico. We literally believe that our dead come back. We lay out plates of food for them. We lay out water for them. A lot of non-white traditions have this. We would call that magical realism? No, it's actual practice. Just like writing about magical stuff in literature is part of our cultural practices. Close quote. From what I understand, magical realism is the idea that nature is alive and spirits are real, and you can have a connection with them. And it's not fantasy. It comes from actual indigenous beliefs. And how does this relate to Björk? Well, Björk herself has said that she believes in magic. Quote, I find it very tiring when people think magic is like in David Copperfield or like the Ghostbusters. No, just to set the record straight, I believe. I'm very much into magic and fairies. I'm probably the biggest fan of magic realism there is. You know, Lorca, Frida Kahlo, the sagas of Iceland are similar to that. Down to earth, common sense, bread and butter. It is real. And I don't believe in escapism, fantasy. I believe in the magic that is just there. Close quote. Like Björk said, Iceland has its own beliefs about magic just as Mexico does. According to the Guide to Iceland website, quote, For centuries, Icelanders used magic spells for both practical everyday purposes and specific unorthodox objectives. Witchcraft was a way of bestowing reason upon an unreasonable world and predicting the unpredictable. 
Sorcery was to our ancestors what science is to modern man. Close quote. What I like about that quote is that it shows that witchcraft was a real belief and practice then, just like science is to us now. The article continues, quote, Iceland is home to an active pagan religious congregation, which subscribes to the ancient Icelandic mythology of Asidthru. And pagan rituals are still practiced by many modern Icelanders, although only a handful remain faithful to the original sorcery of antiquity. Close quote. We know Björk loves science. She wrote an entire album about the science behind natural phenomena. But she also has a flair for magic in her music, like in Isabel, where she sings about a woman being born out of a flame in the forest. Or in Utopia, when she sings about an alien world full of unknown bird flute hybrids. It makes sense to me, then, that listeners steeped in a culture of magic, like Mexico's, would connect to Björk's music. Now, those are the three main reasons why I think Björk's average fan is a Mexican gay guy. Björk's music shares a structure with traditional Mexican corridos, has similar themes to beloved Mexican artists, and has a similar penchant for magic. But as I went back through my conversations with Mexican Bjerk fans, I realized I was missing something. I was thinking of Bjerk's average fan as two separate identities, Mexican and gay. But Lucas reminded me that people contain multitudes. And also she's a gay icon because in Latin America you cannot express homosexuality so openly. So I think people are more expressing it through art through music, uh, through the music they listen to, the, the pop artists they, they like. And another listener, Osmar, said that Björk's collaboration with queer Latina artists like Arca also boosted her popularity among younger Mexican listeners. The second generation of fans began in 2015, including me. Uh, I was 15 when I discovered her music. All of us were crying with a broken heart over the album Volnicura. On that one, I felt a lot of empathy for her, and I believe the majority of us queer folks did too. Also, this collaboration with Arca became like the beginning of a new era of queer experimental alternative music, you know, like Sophie, Charlie XCX, etc. I really believe this period marked the beginning not only of new Bjork fans, but also this music genre that we love so much. The fact that Björk, a straight Icelandic woman, can write music that resonates with gay Mexican men proves the universality of her music. It's no wonder then that her fans can be found everywhere, all over the world, but especially in gay bars in Mexico. After speaking with these fans, I understand more why Björk's average fan might be a Mexican gay guy. But the more I learned, the more I wondered why Björk's music resonates with listeners in other parts of the world. So if you have a theory about why people in your country like Björk's music, tell me about it. You can find me on Instagram at BjorkUnraveled or send me an email BjorkUnraveled at gmail.com. Björk has found global commercial and critical success over her four decades as a solo artist. So how has she managed to succeed so brilliantly without compromising her artistic vision? 
In the next episode, we'll find out. I'll be taking a short break over the holidays, but you can expect this episode in your feeds in mid-January. You've been listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. Bjork Unraveled is produced independently by me, Savannah Wright. Special thanks to Lucas, Hisal, and Osmar for sharing their thoughts, and to Isaac Wright for lending his voice again. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend and submit a review on whatever podcast app you're using. And consider donating to the show. There's a link in the show notes where you can donate $1 or $5 a month. I'm an independent producer, so every dollar will go towards music, software, and equipment. With your help, I can make the show sound even better. This episode was brought to you by Javier Villegas, Tobias Senesen, and Enrico Topo. I'm Savannah Wright. Thanks for listening.